you know, I like to fish. People think pond management, you think, well, man, you must fish all the time. Actually, you don't. Uh, what you do is you spray algaecide all the time and you pick up garbage all the time and you do stuff like dredging and storm, you know, water problems and, you know, a lot of the of stuff around ponds that, that actually pay you is not fish at all. Fish and wildlife populations are, are, are very dynamic. You know, you can have too many bats. You can also have too few bats. That's part of management. And when you practice catch and release exclusively, you're not taking into account half the problem when you have too many bats. Understanding how to like capture the reproduction or maybe measure for relative weight, or there's any number of things that we can do to kind of tip us off that maybe the bass spawn was, was too heavy this year and we need to harvest some. Now, that part of pond management doesn't exist right now. If you just stop shooting deer altogether because you don't like it anymore, what happens to that wildlife population? That's exactly what happened to the bass population over the last 30 years. Right, because of catch and release. Catch and release. They're not accounting for overcrowded conditions. A lot of things that are kind of misconceptions around ponds. Like the first thing is people think that the pond has to be really old to produce big fish. And that is absolutely false. As a matter of fact, my recommendations just in general, drain and restock your pond every 10 years. It's the easiest, cheapest way to manage for world-class fishing. It only takes five years to get a bass over 10 pounds in the right conditions. I've seen in, in public bodies of water, people who are there keeping fish being shamed and mocked and, and, and having arguments and fights with people who think they should be throwing all the fish back. Right. And the people who are defending catch and release are 100% in the wrong. The people who are keeping the fish are actually doing the lake a service, a favor. And the people who are defending catch and release are defending starvation. And they absolutely don't know it. Welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. I'm going into my 15th year of podcasting. Can't believe it's been that long. I want to thank you all for helping me keep this fresh and staying motivated to bring you new content, etc. It hasn't been easy, but uh, it helps me fuel my own passion for hunting. Speaking of helping me keep this going, please go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags and use promo code John Stallone, all one word, to save 20%. And lastly, if you could go to Howl for Wildlife and become a member, we have partnered with Go Hunt. So now you could get your cake and eat it too. What, I, what do I mean by this? Well, you can go to Go Hunt and if you look at their insider full subscription, it's $149. And with the insider, you get the Explorer as well. So we have both packages, but Explorer is, is their mapping software and it's completely dedicated just to hunting you know it's got the public and private land boundaries offline maps 3d point tracker and all the western states are included it's a it's a great tool so you get that plus with the insider you get the advanced filtering and search tools industry leading draw odds unit profiles and uh, easy to read state regulation overviews and species profiles and expert insights and all this exclusive content plus monthly giveaways. So the Go Hunt Insider subscription is an awesome deal, right? But it's $149 a year. And if you've been on the fence and didn't know you, if you wanted to spend that $149, let me tell you, it's really worth it. But we're going to make it even sexier for you because if you come to Howlful Wildlife's site and you go to our membership portal and purchase a insider or a explorer package, you not only get a free subscription to Go Hunt and get all those awesome benefits that we talked about, but you get all the benefits of becoming a Howlful Wildlife member. And that includes our discounts with our partners, 20% or more with our partners. You are automatically included in the Halfa Wildlife giveaway, monthly giveaways for gear and hunt giveaways for the year. Plus, as a 501c3, your portion of your membership is tax deductible and you're helping out a great cause. Alpha Wildlife is out there advocating for the hunter, 
and helping educate the non-hunting public so that uh, we can keep doing this for for perpetuity here and so our kids and our grandkids can enjoy it and uh, it's a really great system and we're super thankful that uh, go hunt jumped on board with us and um, it's a great way to support Halfa wildlife it's a great way to get awesome tools that you will use i use go hunt insider all the time i've been a member for a very long time and it's how i get a lot of my tags by doing the research through there and now you're getting extra stuff with it so it's a great great system so go check it out become a member today and uh let's roll into this next episode thanks hi welcome to days in the wild big game hunting podcast brought to you by phoenix shooting bags today we're going to be talking to shane o'gorman and uh shane is a fishery scientist and we're gonna pick his brain a little bit and talk about bass and other types of fish i'm assuming probably and uh some of the different uh, maybe misinformation that might be out there or, or at least a thought process he, he had brought up some cool stuff and i was interested in i don't want to give too much away when i'll let shane kind of do his thing here um anyway what's going on man how are you doing not so bad how are you i i am good i am trying to stuff 10 gallons of shit in a five gallon hat right, right now i got <laughs> I'm, I'm spinning plates everywhere now between uh howlful wildlife and all its you know demands i have a outfitting business you know guys are starting to book for the fall hunts here and i'm dealing with all that and doing permitting and all that stuff oh wow yeah and, and i own a swimming pool company so of course i'm in my busy season here in arizona with spring and summer is oh sure we're busy all year round but it gets it gets extra busy now do you build them or do you do maintenance all all the above everything yeah, yeah that's yeah. interesting because i um i got my idea for my pond business because i was a lifeguard for a company that we did homeowners association pools. Yep. So we took care of the pool and did lifeguarding all day long, oh, you know, cool. taught kids swimming lessons, that kind of stuff. And when I was, that was when I was in college. And when I learned pond management, I was like, you know, you can do the same business with ponds that you could, that guy was doing with pools. And, and that's how I got into doing ponds. Huh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's definitely, I'm in the pool capital of the world. So, you know, there's I would a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work over here uh, for that. But, uh, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. So I've gotten accustomed to rolling with the punches, but it's, uh, it's definitely got its challenges. Definitely got its challenges. Um, you sure. Know, but, you know, it's interesting because like some of the water quality stuff that you see that, that you know, is, is similar to, you know, pH and hardness, right. alkalinity. Um, we use all those in, in pond management as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I have a couple of pond guys that I work with cause we have several, several properties that have, um, you know, these large fountain style ponds and whatnot. And, mm -hmm. you know, if it's, just a pond there's definitely if there's no fish in it and it's just like a fountain type deal we'll service them but when it gets to especially if they're fish or if it's like a lake style or big pond style then it gets over you know five thousand square feet or something like that then i yeah i look i farm that out to a different company but sure so anyway um <laughs> Don't want to bore our listeners with my pool business here. Um, why don't <laughs> you give us a advertisement? <laughs> you might get to work. <laughs> I don't need any more work or want any more work. <laughs> oh, geez. Why don't you give us a little rundown about yourself and, uh, and okay. how you fit into the puzzle here? Sure, man. Um, so, like I said, I, I I was in school. I was lifeguarding and um, and working with homeowners associations and those same around an Atlanta area. So those same people had ponds, you know, on their site. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to the president and the, of the uh, HOAs and all that all the time, you know, being the, being the uh, primary contact for the pool company and working there, you know, all week long. Um, I got to know those people really well. So I was able to transition into a, uh, a paying pond man job before I ever left college. 
And then once I did leave college, I just worked for myself. I didn't, I didn't go to take any state work or, or anything like that. I was transitioned right into my own business. Nice. Um, but I was very f- fortunate that way. Yeah. It took a few years to get going. My, my folks helped me out, you know? And then from there, I ran that business for a long time, almost 20 years. And a guy came along and, and, and bought it out from me. Um, and I had to work for him for a few years to transition it over and everything. Mm. But I'm on the other side of that now. And I did that primarily because, you know, I like to fish and people think pond management and you think, well, man, you must fish all the time. Actually, you don't. Uh, what you do is you spray algaecide all the time and you pick up garbage all the time and you do stuff like dredging and storm, you know, water problems and, you know, a lot of the of stuff around ponds that, that actually pay you right. um, is, is not fish at all. And it's not also work that I really don't enjoy. So right. I take you know, I take another job with my buddies, who's actually a pool man. I, I clean pools during the week part time um, to stay busy, and uh, and I do this. You know, I, I I manage ponds for people as well. There's not a huge demand for what I do. Um, it never had. I mean, it's 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 an interesting topic. This is why I put it online. But there's not just a tremendous amount of work for you to go out and collect and become to do this full time. You know what I mean? I've, I've never been able to track that down. I, and I, that's why I give it all away online because I just don't see there's a lot, there's a million ponds in Georgia, but there's not a million people in Georgia who can afford a guy like me. Right. So, you know, telling those guys how to, you know, how to how manage their pond or how to maybe measure fish or check their fish or whatever, it doesn't cost me any business because they couldn't afford to hire me anyway. Right. <clears throat> and, and, um, and, you know, this is not like you have that much competition. <laughs> so there's actually quite a bit of it. Um, oh, is there? You'd be surprised how many guys are out. Yeah, they don't like me telling them people this stuff. But again, I'm on the other side of things. Um, I'm not trying to be a consultant as as much per se. Not that I don't do consulting or take jobs, I do. But it's I'm not I'm not putting it out there as my primary source of income. You know what I mean? Yep. It's a part time gig, and it always it always has been. Um, the fisheries part of the business has always been very very small group of guys. If I had a thousand acres of water to manage, there might be a hundred of them, a hundred of those acres that were, you know, fisheries related water. Mm-hmm. Most of your, like I said, most of your paying work isn't fish related in that business. So I just kind of got burnt out doing non fish related work and transitioned over to kind of an online presence here a couple years ago. And it's, it's been very successful. I keep getting podcasts from guys like you and, and, a lot of followers online and I feel like probably for the first time in my career, I'm really actually helping fisheries, you know, awesome. People were really learning and, and, and engaging and it's just been really, really positive all the way around. I've enjoyed it very much. And it's kind of a pet peeve of mine because, you know, fish health is something that not many people understand. So I'm trying to teach people how to actually measure the bass that they catch um, so they can understand like when they should harvest their bass or when they should put them back, you know, fish and wildlife populations are, are, are very dynamic. You know, you can have too many bass. You can also have too few bass, you right. know, that's part of management. And when you practice catch and release exclusively, you're not taking into account half the problem when you have too many bass. Right. Understanding how to like, capture the reproduction or maybe measure for relative weight or there's any number of things that we can do to kind of tip us off that maybe the bass spawn was, was too heavy this year and we need to harvest some. That part of pond management doesn't exist right now. And it's very important part of it. It's half of it, you know, and it's half that's being ignored for catch and release type of ideology. Right now, does, does this stuff that you're talking about now does this translate to your lakes, like big, large bodies of water, or is it strictly on these, you know, more uh, hyperdynamic, smaller, you know, manageable uh, pieces of water? You know, 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and it's, it's actually translated over to big public reservoirs. We've got, I've got one just down the street here. It's about a thousand acres that they built uh, about 12, I think years ago or so. It's, I talk to the fishery scientists there. It's stunted out with bass. Um, they're experiencing poor growth or some slot limits, no growth due to crowded conditions. Um, we have a 10,000 acre reservoir, Oconee. I talked to that biologist out there. That one's also uh, bass heavy as of about five years ago. And like we were talking about earlier, I, my, my job was primarily, you know, more manageable ponds, private, private ponds are usually not a thousand acres, you know, no. most people don't know something like that. A um, few people, but not many. They're very, um, most very rarely over there. A couple. Acre. Yeah. I was going to say one or two acre max. Yeah. Yeah. One acre, two acres up to a couple hundred acres. You know, some people have some pretty big bodies of water. Oh, wow. um, I've, I've managed everything. In, I've, I've managed ponds from, you know, from under an acre to two right out of a thousand acres uh, in my career. Nice. And primarily in the, you know, one acre to 50 acre range, I guess. Gotcha. Uh, I did have quite a few lakes in the 200 to 400 acre range towards the end of my career there um, when I was doing it full time. But I would say primarily, you know, in that one to 50 acre, I have an extensive amount of experience and they're all pretty similar. They're either crowded with bass or they're crowded with bass and crappy. Right. Um, because people really, it's a misconception. I'm starting to see bleed over um, from bass fishing too. The crappy need to be harvested and, and you don't even need to stock them in lakes under 50 acres. And I've seen them cause problems in my lakes that were 200 acres. They just are not a good fit in smaller bodies of water. Mm. It's never talked about. It's never discussed because people don't know it really. But you do not want crappie in, in small ponds at all. They, their spawn eats the bass spawn early in the spring and you lose your bass population to them. Gotcha. A lot of times. And even if you don't completely lose your bass population to them, they're competing so heavily for food with bass and bluegill that they just take away. You can see it in the relative weights. Um, your bass are almost always underweight when there's crappy in a pond and there's not a lot that you can do about it. When people actually measure the weights and understand standard weight, you begin to see these trends. Okay. I don't know where you want to start. I don't know if you want to talk about the weight and measurement or if you want to talk about the, indicators of what people should be looking for you know for a healthy ecosystem sure and indicate let's start there let's just start with like a visual kind of a you know if we if we're going to go out and go fishing say you know yep. and then we'll transition over to, to an actual measurement how about that sure absolutely so i go to a pond i've never been to before let's say it's 10 acres you know and i go fishing and i start catching fish I would say probably about 90% of the time, you know, based in the southeastern part of the United States anyway, where I've been working primarily, you'll probably catch a lot of one-pound bass. It'll be one-pounder, 1.25, you know, 1.3, 1.5. But if you fish there a few times, say, and you've caught 20 fish and 18 of them are in the one-pound category, you know, 1.1 to 1.9 pounds, somewhere in there. Okay, that's a pretty common sample of what you'll see. And that's exactly what I'm describing. It's a bass crowded situation. Those bass can be 20 years old in one pound. Really? Yeah. They do I didn't even know they could yeah. I didn't even know they could get um, that old. Yeah, they don't, but they could they, they could. It's technically possible, but bass generally, you know, you're gonna get them out to twelve or, or fourteen at the most. But I don't even want I'm not concerned with my bass like being extremely old. Mm -hmm. What I'm concerned with is my bass being extremely well fed. Okay. So if I went to your to using our example, if I went there and I caught twenty fish and eighteen of them are in the one pound category, that gives me a lot of information. Because if I go next door to a 10-acre pond that was just stocked, it was stocked properly, I'm not going to see that, okay? I'm going to catch one-pound bass, two-pound bass, three-pound bass, four-pound bass pretty readily. I'm not saying I'm going to catch them every single time I go, mm -hmm. but you're going to see a diversity of size of the fish that you catch in a balanced pond, okay. right? Mm -hmm. 
they're not all going to be stacked up at one pound. So if I'm just going, if I'm using that as a visual, all right, are you catching a fish that are a diversity of size? Yes or no? Okay. If that answer is no, so that's that a, a that's a first indication that you have either a poor or or you're you're, you're doing something right is that you have something. a diversity, or Correct. or or don't. <laughs> Correct. Okay. So like I said, one pounder, one pounder, one pounder. All right. You're getting a pattern there. And the more of those one pounders you pull in without seeing a two or a three or a four, it's just solidifying the data set. Right. And giving you more and more information that there's a problem here and understanding that, you know, understanding that, wait a minute, why aren't there any three pound bass here? Because in a healthy pond, they'll be all over the place. Mm -hmm. You know, there'll, there'll be a diversity of size. So that's our visual indicator. That's the primary visual indicator that I would use. And it really doesn't matter the species of fish either. Like say I went to, you know, a pond, like say I go to a one acre pond and I catch bluegill after bluegill after bluegill and all of them are three inches long. Okay. Okay. And I don't catch any bass. I don't catch any other fish. I don't catch anything but bluegill and they're all the same size. Okay. That's a problem. Okay. Now I'm going to start looking for indicators that maybe bluegill are probably the only fish in the pond based on what I know about the biology of bluegill, you know, and my experience, I can start coming to some conclusions pretty quickly. There's a problem here, but the first indicator was these bluegill shouldn't all be the same size like Mm. this. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Okay. So how do we take that and turn it into a measurement? Okay, so we can actually measure that because that's what you need to when you when you get there, this is what you'll be doing. You know, when you when you can see what's going on, you'll see it in the data. So the measurement that I'm talking about is called relative weight. Okay, And what that is, is the weight of the fish that you sample relative to a standard weight. So what is a standard weight? So just like when you go to the doctor, they have a BMI chart on the wall. It says, I'm 6'1", I'm supposed to be 195 pounds, and I'm 225 pounds, so I'm fat, right? Okay. That's, that's the standard weight. Does it mean that every single person at 6'1", has to be 195 pounds? No, it doesn't. But it'll ballpark you pretty well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly what standard weight is for, for the largemouth bass chart that I use, okay? It tells me a 24-inch bass – you know, standard weight for 24 inch bass in the United States of America, it's taking into account Northern fish, Southern fish, all that stuff is 8.1 pounds. This is the, this is the numbers that I was handed at school. You know, I'm not going into like how we got these numbers, right? Right. These are just the numbers that have been handed to me for the last 60 years. Really. They've been around for a long time. So when I go to a pond and I know that in my head now, 24 inch bass should weigh 8.1 pounds. I put my electrofishing boat in, and I shock up, you know, your ponds and I'm managing your pond and I get a 24 inch bass, 7.5 pounds. Mm-hmm. I've got a problem. You, before okay, we I go, before we go any further, can you explain the electric boat? Oh, sure. It's, it's not much different than a welder. Um, it's like a fish taser. Mm-hmm. And basically it's an aluminum boat. You're sitting on the negatives and the positive side kind of sticks out on wires on the front on, on poles. And it creates a small field around the boat that if the fish swim into it, they get stunned. And it allows us to sample fish quickly. And I would say uh, it's not without bias, but it's a relatively unbiased way. If you, if you take in – it's biased towards bigger fish, actually. Okay. Electrofishing does – small fish don't have enough surface area to get captured. They just swim right through it. But the bigger fish get stunned, and it allows us to capture them without harming them. So we can weigh and measure them for these types of, for this data. Gotcha. Um, it doesn't matter how you catch the fish though. Like you can totally go catch the fish with your fishing rod. You know, I don't care if you, if you accurately weigh and measure your fish and just send me those, that information, I don't need that fancy boat. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't care how the fish are sampled. Just that I need that data and I need it to be accurate. I need the accurate weight. I need an accurate length. And I need an accurate number of fish that you caught. And it would help if I knew how long it took you to catch them. Okay. But not necessarily. All right. 
So let's say, all right, let's go back to our example. We go and we we go back to our 10-acre pond that we caught 18 or we caught 20 bass and 18 of them are one pound. Well, when we start putting them onto a measuring board, it's going to say, all right, my, my board tells me the standard weight for a 12-inch bass is one, a 12 and a half inch bass is one pound. That's my standard. Okay. So when I start weighing all the 12 and a half inch bass from this pond, they're all going to be under that one pound. They're going to show me 0. 0.75, 0. 0.8. 0.91 they're not going to be one pound mm-hmm. okay and there's my clue right there now i'm starting to get math right now i've got a number that they weigh and a number a standard weight i divide those two numbers and i and i get a uh you know a, a decimal maybe they said 0.8 percent 0.9 percent of standard weight right okay when i put those numbers all down next to the fish's numbers you can see a trend then it's like, oh, wow, look, all these fish should be one, and they're all 0.74 to 0.78. You see what I mean? Yes. You're putting a, a numerical value to the condition of the fish with standard weight comparison. Okay. And when you do that, it jumps out at you what the problem is. It becomes very obvious. Hey, our 12 to 14-inch bass are skinny. The 16s are okay. You know, Mm -hmm. everything above 16 is looking good if you even still have 16-inch fish anymore. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, those fish can get stunted and stop growing, and they don't go to 16 inches anymore. Right? Your lake literally gets full of 14-inch bass that don't grow. People don't understand that. Let me ask you this. this, Does the same hold true, let's say, that – I mean, uh, it doesn't sound like a problem to me, but like every time you threw the fishing line out there, you caught a three pound bass every single time. It's like, that's, that's all that's in there. It's all the same weight, but it's all, it's bigger. Yes. Well, what you're describing there is like what happens when you stock a new pond. Okay. So I've got a couple that I've been running down online, you know, I'm going to be tracking them in real time. I don't like telling people fish stories when you can just go out there and, and, you know, do the work and show people real, you know, what's, what's really happening. Right. So that's kind of the angle I'm taking with that is just like real time tracking of those, of those growth rates. And then when people see what's possible in a new pond and how well they grow, they can correlate that to their pond and go, wait a minute, you know, these fish aren't growing like that at all. Okay. Right. But back to your, I'm missing a point that you just made there about that. Um, I lost my train of thought when I was talking about that. What were we talking about? <laughs> if, if, if it's an indication that there's something. Oh, when you have all three pounders, right? Yeah. So if I stock, if I stock my pond two years ago and I go out there, yeah, I'm going to see all three pounders, right? Okay. <laughs> that's, that's generally when you're going to see that. Right. But if I'm in that situation and every single bass is three pounds, you're like, wow, this is kind of interesting. I've never seen this before. Let's calculate their relative weights. Are they all three pounds and healthy or are they all three pounds and skinny? There's a big, big difference. Let's see. I guess for me, you know, I, I've been a wild game manager and stuff like that. I don't know much about fish. Like I'll be honest with you. Um, but when I look at that and I say, if I had all three pounders and I'm not catching anything, does that mean that they're not spawning? They're not, you know, reproducing because there's nothing younger than them. There's nothing smaller than them. Right. Well, see, now we're kind of touching on that stunted situation. And it, Now, do you see bass stunted at three pounds normally? No. That's usually doesn't really happen. Right. But if you just back that down to the one pound category, I see that all the time. Mm-hmm. 90% of the lakes that I electrofished all over the Southeast, I was writing reports for people to tell them to harvest bass. You need to go take out 20 bass per acre per year for the next four years. There's so many bass in this lake. Gotcha. The, that was that, that statement right there. I could just write that down, rubber stamp it on almost every single report that I ever wrote. It was that consistent. Harvest bass. They're not growing. Harvest bass, 
they're not growing, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, like you said, you manage wild game. What would happen to the deer population if we just shut hunting season down? Uh, exactly. Yeah. No, it's. You know what I mean? If you just stop shooting deer altogether because you don't like it anymore, what happens to that wildlife population? Yeah. That's exactly what happened to the bass population over the last 30 years. Right. Because of catch and release. Catch and release. They're not accounting for overcrowded conditions. Mm -hmm. And the spawned out term, I see that a lot. Guys will hold up a really thin bass and just in the, and, and instantly they go, well, you know, stress causes our spawn causes stress and stress makes bass skinny. So this fish is, has spawning stress. No, by the time you're looking again, when you measure it, when you're looking at a bass that is like 0.91 of the one that we need or 91% percent relative weight is what we call that. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at that, you can't see that with your eye. You have to measure that from 90 to 110% relative weight. Those fish visually look the same. You literally have to measure it, right? Mm -hmm. When you're looking at a fish that's so skinny that somebody says it's spawned out, that fish hasn't been eating properly in a couple of years. Okay, they're holding a starved a, a bass that has lacked forage 99% of the time. That is not spawning stress that has caused, caused that condition. Because I'll see guys holding fish that are 26 inches long that are like seven pounds talking about it spawned out. It's like that bass could be 13 pounds. That is not spawning stress. Right. Right? That, that bass is on the opposite end of trophy. It is starved. Yeah. And you get that starved condition from crappy in ponds because what happens is it, it, you'll have a lot of forage in the spring and no forage in the fall when all the crappy have been eaten up. So the bass grow half the year and stunt half the year. So you'll get these long, weird-looking bass with crappy um, in, in smaller ponds. That's that's what's usually what that causes that. Gotcha. I'm one, and I'm trying to like equate it and look at it like on somebody's big, you know public reservoirs and lakes and trying to see yeah again and i'm not i don't fish a whole lot i might i've gotten into it more in the last couple of years because my son loves it and i'm just trying to correlate it with the experiences i we actually have a local pond here that i go to it's a community that i used to live in and uh, i still have access to so but like we see we catch a crap ton of bluegills out of there like stupid amount of bluegills mm -hmm. but there's catfish in there and there's mm -hmm. there's no there's no crappie in there but there's there's bass for sure there's definitely there used to be is i want i used to fish it when i was a kid myself you know 25 years ago and we used to pull some giant bass out of there sure yeah and i haven't really seen that in years that i've and every time we go fishing we're, we're literally pulling out that three inch you know, bluegill every once in a while, I'll catch a bigger, you know, a pretty big one, but n not, not with the consistency that I would expect. Right. And that's, you're describing what a lot, you touched on a lot of things that are kind of misconceptions around ponds. Like the first thing is, is people think of it. The pond has to be really old to produce big fish. And that is absolutely false. As a matter of fact, my recommendations just in general drain and restock your pond every 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's the easiest, cheapest way to manage for world-class fishing. Yeah, um, it only takes five years to get a bass over 10 pounds in the right conditions. I don't know if this that would be a, a, a solution for this place, but it's, right. it's, no, it's no, quite no. big, actually. Um, no, it's one all, ever, no, one, no one takes that advice, John. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I wouldn't say no one. A few people have, and a few people have really good fishing. But um, most people don't listen to that and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and suffer through their mediocre, mediocre fishing. And that's kind of another reason why I sold the business when you know, you're trying to be a consultant and help people and they don't listen to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got I know 25, 25 ponds that you're managing quote unquote for fisheries and two of them that you're actually doing the work. Everybody else is just stopping what they want and you're standing there watching it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. you know, there's that, but of course, um, yeah, people don't listen. And especially the people who have enough money to afford 
fisheries management services. <laughs> yeah. They particularly do not listen. But that's neither here nor there. You know, this this is set up for the guy who, like I said, he's a working guy. He can't afford to pay a guy like me to come to his place. And but he needs help with it. And it's it's definitely doable. You know, this is not rocket science. I definitely wouldn't be doing it. It's it's simple. And touching on one thing you said, kind of going back, you know, people want to go like big lake reservoir, like mm-hmm. when you start talking about going over to these big lakes, okay, we're not talking about ponds anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can't take those ideas and those fish populations that are in that big lake and come home and put them in your lake. Because you don't have a lake, you have a pond. It's a completely different environment. Right. Right? You need to keep a pond simple. Bass, bluegill, red ear, maybe a few catfish. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right? You go throw on 18 different species in a pond, go inside, get your 38, and shoot yourself right in the foot. <laughs> okay? That's what you just did. Yeah. It is not a 10,000-acre lake. All right? It's a pond. And it, you, know, you, you don't manage the ocean the same way either. You don't manage a river the same way, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of like people just blend it all together. It's just like, well, that's not what happens at Lake Lanier. Well, I'm sorry. Lake Lanier is 38,000 acres. <laughs> you know, you call me when you own a 38,000 acre lake and I'll, I'll call the guy who you know, can help you with that. All right. I can't help you with that. That's not my job. Right. But that two acre pond, don't do that. You know? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, I have a lot of experience with those. I see that all the time. You know, people want to kind of pull information from different places and things they've heard. And it just doesn't work out for their pawns. Mm-hmm. So trying to make this, this conversation a little bit more uh, relevant for the public, the public waterways uh, angler, you know? Um, sure. Well, this is, this is where it gets beautiful, John. Okay. So you remember that standard weight chart mm-hmm. that I told you about, right? Right. Okay. Basically it tells us whether I'm doing a good job or not. Like if, if I, if you've got a pond and I go over there and I say, here's the standard weight chart, man. And let's go sample your fish and see if they're above or below these weights. Okay. We can tell real quick whether I'm doing my job or not. We can tell whether real quick if I've stocked the pond properly or not. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just all in the math. It's just right there as a measurement. But here's this beautiful thing, right? Are those bigger lakes more complex? Absolutely, they're more complex. And they're really hard to understand. And, like, even the scientists that study them are kind of guessing half the time, you know, kind of using an educated guess on on lakes like that, on what they need to do and how to proceed, you know? Mm-hmm. But guess what? That chart stays exactly the same. Because I don't care how many species of fish are in there. If that bass is eating properly and it's in a balanced situation, its weight will be at or above standard weight. And when it's not, it'll be below. So if I'm looking for a PB, I want to go catch. It doesn't matter if I catch a 12-inch bass, a 13-inch bass, a 14-inch bass, or a 15-inch bass, right? Or any bass in between, any any bigger or smaller. Mm-hmm. The first thing we know is, is we know we, we have to see that or we're in the wrong place. But then the second part that backs us up is, are we catching bass over standard weight? Yes, you're in a lake, you're going to bust your PB. Okay. I think I, I, think I got a grasp on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I don't, and I don't know if this is something you can answer or if there is a, even a rule of thumb style way to look at it. So, Again, going back to that public waterways guy that wants to to fish, um, but also wants to be a good steward of of that waterway, right? What, sure, and that's going to fall into follow the rules that the state sets. Okay, you well, know, you have to follow the state biologist rules. Now, what you're going to find is if you go and measure these fish, you're going to like, um, you know, you might might find that you know what our bass are underweight, mm-hmm. and we should probably be harvesting 13 inch bass, but I can't because the rules say 15 or bigger. Okay. okay, well that that rule wasn't put there by a scientist. That rule was put there by a politician. Yeah. Right. And you're going to find those types of scenarios in public water all the time where what you need to catch is actually illegal. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can do about it. 
you know, you don't need to be the guy out there catching bass that are too small and getting tickets trying to save a pond. Even though you're technically right, you have to go by the rules set forth by the state. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go to the game warden and say, hey, man, look, this pond looks stunted and I think we should change the heart. But you're going to need to go about that in a different way in public water than just like a private pond like I manage and you just go out there and keep them. Right. You know? Right. So that would be the first thing I say to anyone is you have to play by the rules. And and that's not because you can't, I can't even see it. You know, maybe those guys are managing that that way for a reason, you know, outside the parameters of what we're even talking about here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe they've got some other fish they are got a problem with, you know, and those bass numbers are set that way to keep something else in check. Again, you don't know because those ponds and those bigger lakes and public bodies of water are so complex and hard to manage. So that's why you have to play by their rules because those guys are the ones who are in charge of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I if, guess, if, I guess what I was getting a, at is that given that you're following the rules, I just, I, I, I would yes. say that, that, you know, following the law is probably a given. I was going to ask you if, if you, if there was like, you know, a time where you could say, where let's say, let's put it this way. Normally on bass, especially bass, cause they're not as good as eating. Right. I, I'm probably not going to keep any of them really. I'll probably throw them all right. back. Right, but sure. is there a time like in these big public places, say I'm catching fish that are, you know, legal for me to keep that. Hey, I, I've been out here four days fishing rather I keep wanting to say hunting that's because that's what I do <laughs> but <laughs> if uh, I'm out here four days fishing and I keep seeing this this trend or whatever um, should I just start taking fish out and you know yes get, get the fryer going because <laughs> well let's let's put it this way I've seen in in public bodies of water people who are there keeping fish being shamed. Mm-hmm. And mocked and 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 having arguments and fights with people who think they should be throwing all the fish back. Right. And the people who are defending catch and release are one hundred percent in the wrong. The people who are keeping the fish are actually doing the lake a service, a favor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who are defending catch and release are defending starvation, you know, and they absolutely don't know it. And that's why I'm trying to teach these guys, look, man, you guys, I, I'm, everybody is coming at this with a good heart. But you got to understand, I don't care how your thoughts and feelings and intentions are good if you're wrong. Right. It man. doesn't matter. The fish are starving. Okay. And I'm tired of the fish starving. I'm tired of hearing spawned out. I'm tired of hearing misinformation regurgitated by people who are multimillionaire pros who should know better. You know, I'm tired right. of seeing mishandled fish by multimillionaire pros who should know better. I'm just tired of it. It shouldn't be treated this way. You I, know, it's you, you can't treat your dogs like this. Let's put it that way. Right, and, and we don't treat we don't treat other animals that way either. And exactly, I, I, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you can't see it. Exactly, they're underwater. You know, so like, yep. and it's not clear water, really. I mean, well, and the problem there too, John, is is you can't like bass are so tough they don't just starve to death. Like you would know, like if you stop the hunting season, you would know there'd be dead deer everywhere in a couple of years. You know what I mean? There'd mm-hmm. be carcasses. It'd be a mess, and people are like, okay, something's we got to do something about this, right? right. Yeah. Bass just stop growing. Yeah. You know, there's not a mass. It'd be better if there were massive amounts of dead bass floating everywhere, starved to death. You know, but they are really good at just stop their body, stop growing. And they exist on the amount of protein that's there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an adaptation. that's amazing. But it doesn't mean you should starve them. Right. Yeah. And you can't and you can't really see. It's kind of hard to see. I'm sure that, you know, there's extremes, but it's hard to see the decay of the habitat, you know, yep. where where yep. you can see that pretty evident when you're talking about you know undulates or whatever because you know you could see the foliage you could see the grasses and whatever lack of water and lack of feed but i don't it's hard i don't think it's as easy of a thing to measure when you're talking about a body of water exactly 
you're exa- I mean, you're nailing it, man. You're nailing it. You're nailing all the problems. Like, and, 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 and what's interesting though, and what's fun too, is when like, sometimes you, I get a lot of blowback from people, you know, they want to argue with me because they never heard this stuff before, but then you get the people who are like, they'll argue a little bit, but then they'll like, listen. And they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then they, and they get it, you know? Right. And then all of a sudden it's, they clicks. It's like a math problem. You know what I mean? It's like when you first learn algebra, like solve for X, it's like, how did you solve for X? You know, it's not even a number. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense, but then like you learn it and it's like, Oh, okay. That's kind of easy. And fisheries is the same way. It's just kind of like, you kind of have to like look at it the right way. And then it makes total sense. Well, I mean, I can easily equate it. I mean, I could, I could draw the lines with stuff that I know. So that's why it's easy for me to put it together. I don't know from a average Joe point of view, so to speak, that it's as easy to draw the lines and, and look at it. But cause you, you, you want to think like, like, Hey, I'm taking a fish. I'm putting it back in the, you know, I caught it and I'm putting it back that just keeps more fish in the pond and more, more fish to grow more fish and so on and so forth. And, you know, I, again, the, the indicators that something's wrong with the habitat is not, it's not obvious. Like you got to go looking for it. I mean, you just, you have to either be a excellent angler and catching a bunch of fish and being able to track that data or you know like you say go and electrocute them and <laughs> and figure that out it's not well and upset or, or you know just kind of use common sense again if we go back to what we were talking about if if you're a fisherman and you don't have you know the relative weight scale and you and you are new to it or you just don't understand it yet go back to that diversity of size go back to all right yeah there's people are catching like somebody caught an eight pound bass out here that tells you a lot. It gives you a lot of information because lakes that are stunted won't produce those fish, you know? Now I should say ponds that are stunted won't. Lakes will typically bigger. Once you start getting over 50 acres, a hundred acres up in that size, you'll get, they'll, they'll produce some decent fish. You know, you'll get some, some bigger fish. And this is where I talk about like quality fish versus quality fishing. There's a big difference. Most places will throw off a few quality fish, right? but they don't have quality fishing and people get confused with that. Well, I caught this big fish. Okay. But did you catch who else caught? I mean, it's a 200 acre lake. One person caught one eight pound bass this year, but that's not good. When you consider you can catch 50 eight pound bass from a well-managed 10 acre pond a season. Right. Okay. It just depends on your perspective. And what you've seen happen before, you know, and that's the problem. The, the pond that I'm describing that's been stocked properly, stocked new and stocked properly, people have never even fished in. Mm. They've never experienced that once. They have no idea how good fishing can be, you know, and it's incredible when you do it right, you know, and the guys that didn't do it right get all jacked up, all happy because, oh, my God, look how good the fishing is now. Yeah, this is as good as it's going to get. It's only going downhill from here. It ages like we do, <laughs> you know? Right. It's in its prime right now. Five years, six years, seven years. That's its prime. It's going down after that unless you're very, very, very good at pond management. Right. Right. And it's just a misconception thing, you know? It's weird, but it's the way it is. Well, it's all interesting stuff, man. It's pretty cool. Um I applaud you what you're doing and uh, helping people out with that. And uh, it's an interesting philosophy and hopefully kind of, you know, give some food for thought for some of these guys that are listening and, and uh, you know, whether, the, whether or not they have their own ponds to fish or, you know, land leases or whatever that, uh, that have ponds on them, or even, even looking at uh, the grander scale of things, if they notice something that might have, might be uh you know, something that they can take with them to go approach a wildlife manager get a lot or whatever. Of comments like that. Like we talk, have these conversations, you know, and talk about all these things. That's, that's the most interesting part, man. It's like, I just figured I'd probably have like 20 guys with ponds on my page, you know, but I have a ton of fishermen mm-hmm. 
And it's kind of, I don't know, like indirect results or something. Like guys listen to these conversations and they pick something up that they didn't know Mm-hmm. And they apply it to their fishing. Well, I was going to say know? this is my, this is my my whole interest in it. And it is like one of my tools in my toolbox for being a successful hunter is the fact that I have a good understanding of ecology and the way mm-hmm. systems work. So for me, the more I learn about the systems in, at play when we're talking about fish, I should be able to translate that into some success for me, you know? Yes. That's kind and of, I, I find that that was something that I didn't ever plan for, but I'm finding that to be very true. I get a lot, I got a lot of guys who don't have ponds at all. They just fish and they follow, you know, and I, I try to mix that up, you know, so it's not all just kind of mix the fishing and the, I'm going to do some more stuff, rivers and, and bigger lakes and different things this year, but not be so one dimensional, but it's, it's easier from my perspective to keep it on ponds mm-hmm. um, because people are at such a beginning level of understanding when you, again, you start talking about reservoir dynamics and it's just, you know, that's too complex. Um, that's yeah. not something that I'm, that, you know, I'm not even really qualified to be talking about that. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I'm really not sure how these guys riding around on bass boats or know all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Cause reservoir management is, is a different, a different thing altogether. But, it's been an interesting journey. I can say that. And I'm glad there's so many people out there that, that, that the information helps, you know, it's, it's cool to, to have, to help people out and, and, and have them say, Hey, that, you know, I caught the biggest fish I've ever caught because of something you said. And it's very rewarding. Awesome. Awesome, man. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge with us and uh, where can our listeners find out more about you and uh, what you got going on? Oh, um, I go by aquatic biologist on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Um, I also have a Patreon account for, uh, it's, it was designed, it's $5 a month and it was designed for, to do, you know, consulting work for private landowners that needed help. Um, and it's pretty easy to do over, you know, with all the technology now I can just do it over, over the phone. Right. Usually. Um, but I find that I've got people paying me for content, I content creator ideas. People pay me for, uh, you know, just fishermen follow along, looking for more in depth information. Um, I got a cool project going where I'm, I'm running. Um, I've got bass tagged with pit tags, so they they scan like a barcode at the store, and we're running them Florida's against Northerns in the same pond to see which one grows biggest. I'm going to be putting that on Patreon over cool. the next few years. Yeah. So um, any of those places, just I'm a aquatic biologist. Ask me any questions. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the next show.